This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering My Trustmark online and mobile banking services to help monitor spending, pay bills, deposit checks, transfer money, and more. Anytime, anywhere. More information at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. From MPB Think Radio, this is Money Talks. I'm Kevin Farrell, along with Dr. Nancy Botcher-Janderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Tap Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. They are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. So according to the website SpendMeNot.com, American credit card debt now exceeds $1 trillion. The average U.S. household has $8,398 in credit card debt, and 60% of Americans carry their credit card balance from month to month. So what questions do you have about credit cards or questions about your personal finance for our experts? Contact us by email. Our address is money at mpbonline.org. So good morning, Nancy. We will start with you in financial news in the news. Well, good morning, Kevin. Good morning. Um, we just finished the tax-free weekend, and yes. we're very interested in seeing how the sales revenue came out of that. I haven't seen anything yet, uh, but the concern has been because, you know, there's a question about how school will start, how long it will be going, what it will look like. Plus, people were still hesitant to go back into the stores, so we're anxious to see how those sales numbers look. Certainly, our retailers are still struggling. We're hearing of more and more bankruptcies on the retail side, so that's a concern for us. I would just say anecdotally, uh, I went to the uh, outlet mall in Pearl on Friday and Friday afternoon and Saturday afternoon. Uh, both times it was extremely crowded. I thought I would, by going uh, lunchtime on Friday, I thought I would miss some of the crowds. Well, uh, I didn't. The main stores, the Nike and the Under Armour and some of the larger retailers uh, had lines out the door because f- good to see that the stores were following the, you know, the limits on how many shoppers could be in there at one time. Uh, but then on Saturday afternoon, it was th- I ha- I've never seen more people at that outlet mall than I had seen there. It was extremely crowded. Wow. The, yeah. the line for Nike was so long it went down its little part of the you know the outside but it ran into one of the other stores so they had to divert the line to one of the little planters and it was funny there was a guy who had this big sign that said the line ends here and I thought well, gee who got the short stick to have to have that as your job duties for the afternoon yeah. standing out in the hot sun but like I said it, it was extremely busy uh, busier than I've ever seen it so um, hopefully that means maybe that uh, that things went well. I hope so, for our retailer's sake. Uh, Ryder, what about you? What uh, what do you have for financial news this week? Yeah, uh, well, the stock market has been uh, kind of on a little bit of a tear lately. Uh, the NASDAQ is back, um, you know, all-time highs again. Of course, a lot of the companies that make up the NASDAQ index are more tech-oriented companies, uh, you, you know, obviously uh, Facebook, people have been spending inordinate amount of time on Facebook and I guess clicking on those ads, uh, Microsoft, uh, of course, software for businesses, particularly uh, remote working software for businesses, uh, their, their cloud and IT infrastructure has been benefit, benefited. Um, Amazon, of course, you're buying everything on Amazon. And interestingly, uh, Apple, uh, of course, maker of uh, iPhones and um, 
that that is their main product uh, iphones ipads but also uh they still make laptop computers and they announced recently that they're going to split their shares. So their shares are trading right now about $430 a piece, and they're going to split them. Uh, you're going to get four shares for every one share you own. Uh, of course, that doesn't mean you're going to get four shares that are worth $400. You're going to get four shares that are each worth about $100. The value of the company stays the same. You just get more shares. Uh, traditionally, companies would do this to make their shares more accessible. Uh, make it easier for people to buy, uh, you know, a single share or a round amount of shares. That's a little less important now because uh, there's pretty much no trading fees for retail traders, uh, just depending on their brokerage. Um, and even in places like Schwab are doing where you can buy fractional shares. So you can, if you wanted, you could just buy half of an Apple share today anyway. So there's a lot of discussion about it doesn't have a lot of, there's not a lot of point to splitting your shares anymore, uh, but they have done this before several times in their history. And the last time they did it, they were trading around $700 and they did a seven for one split. So I'm starting to think maybe Tim Cook just likes the shares at about $100, uh, but we will just have to see because they have been climbing a lot lately. Uh, one thing that's been in the news is the coin shortage, and I've noticed several uh, places that I've been to say, you know, take a credit card or exact change, uh, indicating that they sort of won't give change if you don't have exact change. And I think we kind of touched on this in a, in a previous show, but Nancy, can retailers require you to give them exact change or they won't accept your cash? Well, I do think they have the right to say, hey, I don't have um, sufficient change for you. Um, that has happened at small retailers a lot over the years. Um, so, yes, if they're in that position, they can just say, uh, I'm sorry, I can't uh, complete this transaction because I don't have a way to give you the change. So in that case, you'd either have to use a debit card, not buy the thing, or possibly accept that you're not getting your change back, I guess. Well, I think for most people, they would maybe find an alternative way to make that purchase depending on how important a purchase it was as well. So um, one other thing, an odd shortage that I've noticed is that, um, you know, I'm, I'm a big Coke Zero drinker, and I've noticed the last two times I've been to Kroger, different locations, uh, that they don't have the little 12-ounce cans that I like to drink out of. And uh, the, the first time I went, there was they were the small bottles. Uh, this time there were the 16-ounce bottles, so I kind of adjusted. But I thought it was odd that... Um, that something I thought was a fairly popular product was, the, you know, was not being stocked. And I asked, and it said that they're just not getting uh, the deliveries from the warehouse. So I guess that could be COVID-related, right? Or what do you think? Yeah, so there have been some uh, supply chain interruptions. There, there were probably fewer supply chain interruptions than, than people than a lot of people expected, but particularly we've seen it in paper products, if anybody remembers trying to get toilet paper about three months ago. Uh, we've seen it a lot in meat, uh, in, in, in food processing, uh, just because meat factories are just, they are, they were a, a hotbed for disease transmission before, and uh, this is no different. Um, as far as, you know, specific Coke products or something, there could be a number of issues going on and part of it could just be the priorities of what they're producing. Um, and, and part of it could be, you know, say maybe just the can manufacturer, you know, doesn't have, you know, isn't 
able to supply them in, uh, enough cans at the right price. So they're they're shifting to bottles. Uh, so it could be prioritization, um, but there have been there have been issues, and even a small interruption in a supply chain can manifest itself in something uh, as big as the Coca-Cola company just saying, you know what, we're not going to do cans for a little bit. Uh, our producer Liz Gill tells me that she heard there there was a can shortage, and that might explain why I was able to find the the bottled products, but uh, but not the canned products. Although the one Kroger did have the little smaller cans, but I imagine that maybe they're not as popular uh, with consumers. So it's interesting, uh, but uh, I haven't. This is Liz. Yeah, a shortage of aluminum cans is crippling supplies of certain drinks. Industry officials said aluminum cans are in very tight supply with so many people buying more multi-pack products to consume at home mm-hmm. coca-cola spokesperson said okay well as long as they give me my coke zero in the bottles i'll be okay so if i start getting a little antsy on uh, a future show we, we might know the reason <laughs> um before we go last uh, topic uh nancy i've heard that there are some stores that normally would be open on thanksgiving or are closing this year have you heard uh, about that and how that might affect black friday I have. Um, I think Walmart is one main one that has announced that. I think Target has followed suit. I am applauding it. Uh, I think we have um, had this slide into all of our holidays as retailers have tried to take over and try to get the jump start on all of those Black Friday shoppers. So I'm glad to see this happening. And, um, you know, maybe that's a, a good result from all of this coronavirus that we are starting to value family time. And we can shut down. We don't have to all go shopping on Thanksgiving. And I'm hoping um, many more retailers will follow suit. If you have a question for our experts, you can send an email to money at mpbonline.org. We'll continue our discussion of credit cards after the break. What does your credit score say about your likelihood of repaying new debt? We'll have that for you next. This is Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. presented on Money Talks is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult a financial advisor or any other qualified professional for guidance about your personal finance questions. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, Professor of Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center and host of Southern Remedies Relatively Speaking. Join us as we explore issues that relate to you and your family, from mental health obstacles and family interactions to handling life disruptions. Whatever the issue, let's try to figure it out together. You can listen live Tuesdays at 11 on MPB Think Radio, or you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy on your preferred podcasting app. 
You're listening to Money Talks. Our website, moneytalks.mpbonline.org, is one way to hear past Money Talks broadcasts. You can also download the MPB Public Media app and listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lotridge-Anderson, President of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. The website, uh, nerdwallet.com, is a source for some of our information on the program today. We asked about credit scores and its correlation to your uh, ability to pay back your debt. According to nerdwallet.com, a credit score ranges are 300 to 329 is bad, 630 to 689 fair, 690 to 719 good, and 720 to 850 means the likelihood of you repaying a new debt is excellent. And that makes sense, seeing that the credit score is tied in in part to your history of repaying your debt. So if you have a question for us, a personal finance question or a question about credit card usage or credit cards, you can call us at one eight seven seven mpb ring Phone lines are open at one 672 Ryder, we'll start with you. Maybe some pros of having and using credit cards. Yeah, so credit cards are very useful tools in your kind of day-to-day spending and managing your cash flow. Um, at the most basic level, you know, what it allows you to do is go through all your spending in a month, uh, putting that on a credit card, and you only have to pay for all of that. The money only comes out of your bank account once, and that's when you pay that credit card bill. Uh, so you are using, say you have a, say you have a, 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 a Discover card, you are using Discover's money to make all your purchases and then you just have to pay them back at the end of the month. And this is useful for folks, um, you know, if you know you make spending, you spend all throughout the month, but your paycheck only comes once or twice a month. So being able to time your paying for all of your purchases with when you receive money is, is very, it's very useful in kind of managing those cash flows. So that's that's kind of one of the first most basic levels what it allows you to do. And just the kind of concept of you are using another company's money, uh, they are lending you that money to spend, uh, kind of also leads to a lot of uh, fairly uh, powerful uses of uh, and features of credit cards. All right, th- those are some of the pros. Nancy, obviously there are some cons as well. What are some dangers that you might run into using credit cards? Oh, boy, Kevin, you can get into deep trouble with a credit card. And uh, you need to remember that every time you pull out that credit card, you're borrowing money. And there's a cost to that. You're, you're buying money from someone, the credit card company. And most people don't even pay attention to what that cost is. Now, if you put um, purchases on your credit card and you pay them off with every cycle, it's not a problem. You're not paying the extra interest charges or any late fees or any of those fees that come out. But a lot of people let that balance roll over from month to month, and these are very high interest charges on these cards. Average is about 15%. So think about that right now. Mortgages, um, we're seeing very low rates in mortgages, 30-rate mortgages, uh, excuse me, 30-year mortgages in the 3% range or less. And yet, an average credit card of about 15%, we've seen them at 29% for people with lower credit ratings. And that means you're going to make this small purchase and maybe 
three or four years from now, you are still paying for that because of the high interest charges. So that's the danger that you get carried away. You spend beyond your ability to pay that off in a reasonable amount of time, and it doesn't even register how much that is costing you. We've got a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Tommy, called in from Alabama today. Good morning, Tommy. You're on the air with us. I got a bill from a credit card company, and I don't even have a credit card. I notified them, and uh, she said that uh, somebody in the household took out a credit card, but nobody lives there but me, and uh, I, ain't, I ain't even got a credit card. Don't use them. And, uh, but the bill was like $94 to activate it. And I told her, I said, uh, I'm not going to pay it. She said, well, we'll just keep sending a bill. What can I do about that? Nancy, any ideas? This is a case. Yeah, well, this is a case that someone has gotten his information. So, Tommy, somebody has your name, your Social Security number, um, your birth date in order to be able to open a card in your name. That's why we always need to protect that information because someone has taken your identity, whether it's someone close to you or some stranger who's gotten hold of it. You really need to um, contest this, and you need to write to the three main credit uh, rating agencies and explain what has happened. You also need to write to that company that sent you that bill and you say, this is not mine, I did not create this, and make sure you keep track of this. It still could be a problem for you, but you're going to have to stay on it to make sure it gets taken off. And make sure that that company closes that account down, that they understand that is not you and you will not take responsibility for that. Yeah. Well, I asked her how they got it. She said it was over the internet. And uh, I don't even have internet at the house. It's only on my phone. And that's what I told her. And, yeah. you know, it's just like button heads with them. You're right. It is. And you're going to have to work really hard to get them to take this off of your record because it will hurt your credit score if you don't register it and if they don't acknowledge that this is a problem, that it was, it was not you. Okay. All right. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, thank you, Tommy, for your call. Ryder, do you have any, any thoughts? Uh, yeah. So wh what I would say is, you know, definitely, definitely – tell that credit card company that that was a fraudulent application. Um, financial regulation and and the fact that, again, with a credit card, you are using somebody else's money. Uh, you are, you know, whatever credit card company that is, whoever, whoever has opened that credit card, uh, and it certainly does sound like someone has stolen your identity to open up a credit card. Um, Whoever is using that is likely not going to pay the bill, and uh, whatever credit card company that is, they are going to—they're uh, going to want that money. Now, of course, since it was opened in his name, they come to him. But you know, if he can demonstrate that that wasn't his, and it sounds like he can, uh, then they're going to have a big problem, and they are going to want to shut that down too. So I would work close. I, you know, first just escalate it as much as you can within that credit card company, and of course, like Nancy said, uh, notify the uh, credit reporting agencies uh, and and uh, you know one check your check your credit um, application history with them and probably if you know this could happen again if it's happened to you once it can happen again uh, look into freezing or locking your credit uh, which uh, should be especially since you can demonstrate that you have had an instance of um, 
of identity theft. Even the uh, couple of places that normally do charge a nominal fee to freeze your credit, they should waive that uh, since you can demonstrate that you've had some fraud on your identity. But yeah, that's a, that's a serious problem, and I'm, I'm glad we, we started off with addressing that. Uh, one of the other things that we've mentioned on the air previously when we talk about this is that, uh, and Tommy or anyone else in this uh, situation, is to not rely on phone conversations, but to actually send letters so that you have a written copy of what you've done. You know, sa save the letter that you send to the credit bureaus and to the company. And uh, Nancy, if you, uh, if you contest this, can the company keep charging you interest or once you contest something is it somewhat in limbo while things get worked out how does that work exactly well typically if it is a credit card charge because it's borrowing money and they can't get their hands on it until you give it to them um, then contesting it means everything is frozen and they are then required to look at the situation uh, you may have to fill out their forms at that point and that's a little different than using a debit card and we've talked about this before because if you use a debit card that money immediately comes out of your account you can still contest it but the money is gone until this gets resolved and then it may get put back so yes uh, Ryder, what are the ways that he might could, and again, Tommy or anyone in this situation, might could prove that, hey, I didn't do this? He's going to have to rely a little bit on the credit card company providing information about how and when the credit card was opened. Um, since this was done on the Internet, that's a little tougher, although, you know, he— since, as he says, he only has internet on one device, uh, on his phone, uh, then they can probably uh, check to see, you know, what sort of device, where that device was located when it registered for that card. You know, if it was something like a paper application, it might be a little easier because they could pull that paper application, compare signatures, things like that. Um, you know, so so that it's going to rely on the credit card company to track down uh, some of that stuff. Uh, and, you know, partly raising a big fuss about it is with the credit card company is what is going to uh, get the ball rolling for him. Um, but again, as well, you know, checking with the uh, credit reporting agencies, because that's going to be able to, to uh, let him know you know, so again, someone else, you know, had obtained, you know, all of his personal information. And this is potentially not the first or only credit card that they've applied for or loan that they've applied for in his name. And so checking those uh, uh, credit reports to see, you know, what are, you know, have there been other applications? Are there other existing lines of credit? Uh, it might also help get to the bottom of when, how, and who, uh, who done it, as they say. Uh, and and guess, Kevin, I'm a little suspicious of this whole thing because um, what he said was, I got a bill and they said this $94 charge was an activation fee. As if they're not, it's not like somebody bought something, but they just opened the account and now this company is calling to say, you have to pay us $94 and even threatening him with his uh, loss of credit score, you know, we're going to still be keep coming out after you based on this. So I'm a little suspicious of this little game going on, that it may be just 
um, some way of getting people to pony up some cash because they're concerned about their credit history. That That's a good point, um, that it may not actually be a legitimate credit card company in the first place. All right. uh, and that actually sending the bill saying, oh, here's your activation fee is is not the result of identity theft, but is a first attempt at identity theft. Uh, so that might be a good point to look at. It just depends. And if, and if it is, you know, if, if they are representing that they come from Discover or Chase or MasterCard, then he can find, you know, you can look up real contacts from MasterCard instead of just using the numbers they provide. Um, because that yeah that could be uh like you said it is a little suspicious uh, although a credit card activation fee being the first bill you get is not that suspicious to me um but that that could be an issue that it's it's not legitimate in the first place and it is a phishing attempt and that's his credit uh, uh his credit report will help with that and also uh chasing down um a legitimate company will help with that yeah, good point. And then uh, I would say, too, that, again, if you suspect that, and even just to be on the safe side, don't send, you know, when the initial uh, contact, don't give out any more personal information that you have to. Do some research before you send uh, some uh, correspondence to them to see if you can find out whether they're legitimate or not. And it's just kind of a sad commentary that it's gotten so bad that perhaps, you know, this is just another way that someone's fishing out there trying to get your personal information uh, to cause you financial grief. We'll continue our discussion of credit cards in just a bit. What happened in 1974 in the world of credit cards? We'll have that information for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law, host of In Legal Terms. If you're enjoying this podcast, I encourage you to listen to In Legal Terms, the show about you and your rights. We find interesting legal topics to bring to you and let you know how the law affects you. Find In Legal Terms on any podcasting platform on your smart device or on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Talks is MPB Think Radio's personal financial broadcast. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lottridge Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft, portfolio manager at New Perspectives. Nancy and Ryder are both chartered financial analysts, and Ryder also holds the Certificate in Investment Performance Measurement from the CFA Institute. Before the break, we asked you about 1974 in the world of credit cards, and until the passage of the Equal Credit Opportunity Act in that year, women could not get a credit card without a husband as a cosigner. This meant that single women and married women who wished to establish credit separate from their spouses were denied credit cards. The 1974 law made it illegal for creditors to discriminate against applications on the basis of race, color, religion, national origin, sex, or marital status. So that certainly was a landmark year uh, in, in the usage of credit cards. Uh, we've got some callers to get to, so we go back to the phone starting again with Charlotte calling in from Louisiana. Good morning, Charlotte. You're on the air with us. Good morning. As I heard the person speak about the possible credit 
credit identity theft, I was thinking that if a person used someone else's information and they made purchases on faulty, uh, well, fraudulent grained credit, they could, the, re the company issuing the card could research where the purchases were shipped they could contact other retailers and see who was photographed or videotaped making those purchases. And that would clear the name of the person whose, whose information was used fraudulently. Thank you for letting me comment. All right, Charlotte, I appreciate that call. Uh, Nancy or Ryder, do you th are credit card companies kind of willing to go that extra mile to research something like that? Yeah, well, I yeah. don't know how far they'll go, but <sighs> certainly um, – it, it is to their benefit to make sure that uh, whoever they open an account for, that this is a legitimate account. And they want to shut down any questionable ones because they're going to lose money. Um, right. So they will make an effort to, to figure out if, if this is legitimate or not. But that, those are some good ideas because um, it's easy to figure out where someone was, what was happening. Um, certainly my credit card company will give me little dings if I'm out of town. They want to make sure this is really me at another town where I'm not usually making a purchase. Yeah, and, and so a credit card company will definitely go to those retailers and kind of say, hey, this is fraudulent, we're not going to be liable for it. And, and that's part of the power of you are using you are using the money of a much larger and much more influential company. Um, you know, you are, you know, if I go to a local coffee shop and say, if I go to, if I go to Starbucks and say, oh, there's a $5 charge, I don't think it's legitimate. They can look at me and say, well, I mean, who are you? I mean, you spent 20 bucks here last year. But if Discover or Chase comes to Starbucks and says, we have some, uh, some charges we'd like to dispute, uh, Starbucks looks at them and says, oh, you processed billions of dollars of payments for us last year. We will listen to you. Um, now, as far as using that information to try to track down who may have been committing that fraud, uh, that, you know, that may happen if it, it kind of escalates to a criminal matter. But for the most part, uh, you know, they may use it, you know, they may provide more information. Uh, but especially if it's a small amount, it's going to be just easier for the credit card company to say, you know what, we're going to cut our losses. We're not going to let any more charges through on that grounds. Um, and we're going to negotiate with that, with that seller to either, you know, get rid of, you know, reverse that payment, et cetera, et cetera. But it may not be worth it for them to launch a full, you know, kind of get involved in a criminal investigation unless there's one outside of them. But they can definitely use tactics like that to get their money back and make sure that the uh, the person whose identity was taken is is not harmed uh, at least too much. One thing I like is that a lot of the major credit card companies have become more proactive in, in contacting you. I know that uh, several months ago uh, I got a text message saying that, and I think I shared this on the air, that I, the, someone had bought tickets for an amusement park in Orlando uh, on my credit card, and so the I, you know I contacted the credit card company and we discussed it, and I was saying, no, I didn't make that charge. And the good thing was that 
that was sort of all I had to do because at that point the credit card company said, okay, we're going to get in touch with the uh, with the person, the vendor, and it was sort of worked out that way. So it was real convenient for me just to kind of you know figure that out, say that I didn't use it, and then uh, the the credit card company kind of did the rest of the work to make sure that that charge did not stay on my account. The other thing I'll say about maybe sort of limiting the usage of your credit cards, and that's something I'm kind of proud I've done. Uh, I used to use them quite a bit more than I do now, but when you don't use them so often and something comes up, you can very easily say, well, no, you know, I, I hadn't used a credit card in three months, when a lot of times if you've used it frequently, you might have to say, well, wait a minute, you know, that sounds familiar. Did I actually charge something like that? So uh, just one other reason uh, to maybe watch uh, the, the usage of your credit cards. We've got a couple of Michelles on the line. Let's start with Michelle in Meridian. Good morning, Michelle. You're on the air with us. Good morning. Thank you. Um, quick question. Uh, what is the best way to check your credit and your credit score? Is there one central place to go to to check it, or do you have to contact three or four different uh, businesses or different uh, organizations? Nancy, why don't you handle that one? Well, you can go to annualcreditreport.com, and you are allowed to get one free credit report each year, and that's one from each of the three main credit reporting agencies. So you can get those reports. Now, that's not, not going to give you a score, and um, some people will use services like Credit Karma. Now we're seeing a lot of credit card companies who are uh, showing you what your score is. One caution there is that score is just sort of a general score and may be adjusted depending on what type of credit you're applying for, and that's what we're finding with some folks. So take that as just an estimate. But if you are turned down for a loan, uh, whether it's turned down for a mortgage, car loan, credit card, whatever, you are entitled to see your score as well as the report. Okay. And I did have one other thing to warn people of, if uh, it's okay. Um, several years ago, we had checks stolen from our mailbox and written out to a city here in Meridian, a city thing. And they took it to another town and used it at a store, even though it was written out to another business, then came back to our town and brought it back for a refund of $800. Hmm. And uh, so I'm hesitant to use checks in this big business that we have here in town. Uh, they didn't ask for ID for anything, and it took almost half a year or more to straighten everything out with them using our bank accounts, uh, debits. Oh credit all this so uh putting mail on the street unless you have to uh i would highly recommend that you always take it to a post office uh good tip michelle uh, that's a good point and uh, we appreciate your call uh we have another michelle on the line this one calling in from jackson good morning you're on the air with us go ahead good morning my question is how long can a debt collector pursue an old debt and is there a statute of limitations on that debt yeah, I believe, uh, so statute of limitations, it does go by state, um, and I believe in Mississippi it's something like three years. Um, however, you have to kind of be careful as to what counts as for that time. You know, if you, um, if you engage in negotiations with or make a payment towards an old debt, it kind of resets the clock. Uh, but there is a statute of limitations as to how long they are allowed to kind of um, harass you about it or how long they're allowed to come to you uh, about it. And what I would say a really great resource for this 
is uh, the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, the CFPB. Did I get those? letters correct yeah uh the consumer financial protection bureau has really good information on um debt collection uh protection from debtor uh from from debt collection agencies uh and your rights as 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 a consumer um so i would suggest you check them um they also provide some maybe some form letters you can use to contest things like that uh and things like that so uh, you're saying understand that even though they may not be still calling you and harassing you for that debt, that's still going to be on your credit report and um, could affect your score up to seven years. Right. That Ignoring it does not make it go away. Okay. So meaning 20 years, something that was 20 years old, um, does that, do you, meaning do you still have to pay that or uh, does if, that still apply? to your credit report so if if there is something that is 20 years old that can still be on your credit report and you know technically you still owe that money things don't go off of your credit report until they've been satisfied um i remember we had a caller a long time ago they had um had a debt from seven years ago and seven years is actually the period of which time a, a debt will roll off if it has been satisfied. And they had a debt from seven years ago that they still had not paid. Um, so paying it, satisfying that debt is what would start the seven-year clock for it going off your credit report. Um, going off your credit report is a different issue uh, from just the uh, debt collector calling you. Uh, that is a different issue from you owing. Um, you know, because you can negotiate a settlement that is less than the balance. And I will say uh, a lot of times with older debts, we see they are student loans, uh, which sometimes have even more uh, onerous laws than simply, um, you know, than simply like, uh, you know, oh, well, if you if you don't pay it for three years, if you don't contact them for three years, they can they have to stop calling you. Sometimes the rules on student loans uh, are a little different. So I would, that would depend on what your specific situation is. Well, thank you. All right, Michelle, we appreciate a call. We'll continue talking about credit cards after a quick break. Now put on your thinking hat. 14% of Americans have what that relates to credit cards? We'll have the answer for you next. You're listening to Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. This is Malcolm White. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Every week we talk with visual artists, musicians, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcast app. Please, you found our show, Money Talks. Kevin Farrell here with Dr. Nancy Lothridge-Anderson, president of New Perspectives and Ryder Taft Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives. 
According to Shift Credit Card Processing, 14% of Americans have at least 10 credit cards. Um, I, it, I was trying to think about how many I had, and I guess I had to include um, my gas card. I have, I think, four, and it's a little bit difficult to keep up with that, so I can't imagine uh, having to keep up with ten. Um, I would think that just uh, the monthly payments and that sort of thing uh, might be a little bit difficult uh, to do that, but that seems to be uh, what at least 14% of Americans have to deal with each month. We've got a caller on the line, so let's say good morning to Tommy in Kosciuszko. Tommy, you're on the air with us. Go ahead. Hey, well, good morning to you. I just want to tell that guy that called in about the fraudulent charge that he had that he thought was fraudulent and didn't incur it himself, is when he starts writing those letters, make a copy. When he calls them and talks down, write down what they tell him because they're going to eventually give him a case number, and all of that will go together. Just so tell him to make himself a file and keep up with it. It works when you got reference back. Good point, Tommy. Uh, I think that's a, a great idea is to, you know, get a file folder and start putting every bit of correspondence, letters, uh, and as you say, if you call or text or something like that, get a copy of that, make a, a note of a call, a call log, uh, and then uh, any kind of copies of letters that you send to whoever and whoever might send back to you. So great suggestion, Tommy. We appreciate uh, that call. Uh, Nancy, did you have a comment on the on the 10 credit cards? Well, I was going to say, when we see somebody with that many credit cards, they're really fooling themselves. Um, often the first thing we do is we sit down with each of those cards and write down the amount that's owed. And it usually shocks them. Because if you have small cards, small amounts, and you think, I really don't owe that much. And it's only when you put it all together that you realize how much debt you've taken on and what kind of interest charges are you, you are incurring and how long it's going to take you to get out from under that. So I'm always telling people you really only need one main credit card. I actually keep two because one's for business and then one's for personal use. But then having it all on one really slaps you in the face with the bill every month. This is how much I owe. And also having that one gives you a little more negotiating power of finding good uh, interest rates and rewards if that's what you want. And, you know, I think I've shared on the air that I've had some issues with credit cards. Let's say I'm, I'm hopefully reformed, doing a lot better than I have. But, you know, uh, part of the things that I would admit to doing is that why you get so many is that you, you have one and it sort of runs it up and then you're you're paying the minimum, but you don't have any room left. And then you get some offer in the mail of, oh, well, here's another one. Well, here, okay, I'll get that. So now I've got this credit. And again, Nancy, I, I would uh, own up to that what you said was that, you know, when you have them and you're worried about it, you think, well, don't look at them. I'm not, I, I can get them paid off. It's not that bad, but you're right. When you put them all together and you look at the grand total sum of how much you owe completely, it, it is a real shocker, and it sometimes will shock you into uh, kind of reforming uh, the way you use credit cards. So uh, they are very helpful, but th it's a powerful um, thing that, that you can very easily uh, get in trouble with. And, again, I, ca I can say that from personal experience, but hopefully, uh, as I reported uh, last week, I got something that said, you know, the three months I've been under 10% usage, so. I'm on the right track, so hopefully I can continue uh, the discipline to make sure that I don't get in credit card trouble again because it really does, you you, you know, it's, it's, it's very uh, aggravating. It's nervous. You, you, you worry about it. And also, <clears throat> I found out that it's great to have extra money out of your paycheck that you're not immediately sending away to three or four uh, different credit card companies, that's for sure.
I think this, uh, both of those, both of what y'all said really highlights what people mean when they say, you know, it's just, it's just so easy to get in trouble with credit cards. You know, like I said at the top of the show, then it was, you know, they are a great tool. They're a great tool for your spending. They're a great tool for your financial life, but tools can hurt you. And if you're not using them correctly, you know, like you said, it becomes easy just to, just to pay the minimum on one card and just think, oh, well, all I'm paying on it is $50 a month. That's totally affordable. When in fact, it's a $5,000 balance. Um, it's easy to go into a store and say, oh yeah, I'll, uh, I'll take this, this card in exchange for a 20% discount today and just leave that hanging out and maybe even occasionally put more and more on that card. Uh, or like, you know, you, you, you have a gas card, you know, it's specifically for gas and you know, I have a couple of cards and one is specifically for gas and groceries and one is for everything else. And, and if you start, and if, and if I push that too far, then I might start thinking, Oh, I need another card for this and another card for this. And it just becomes unmanageable. And like Nancy said, sitting down and looking at all of your cards together can really be enlightening for some people. And not only looking at all of them and all of their balances, but looking and seeing how are you actually going to pay those off? What are the interest rates? What are the interest charges on these? Uh, because the way that minimum charges are set up is that you will hardly be paying anything more in some cases than the interest rate. And so you will never see that balance go down. You will just see interest and fees getting paid every month. And you will, you will still, you'll still be paying years later for that pair of shoes or for that tank of gas that you bought. I think that's one thing that, you know, several years ago, um, I think it was a law, but the, the credit card statement has changed a little bit. And there's one thing that I think that is helpful that they tell you, you know, <clears throat> here's your minimum this month. If you pay the minimum, it will be X amount of time before you pay off your debt. And it's always surprising about how long it is. And the other thing that is interesting to me is that's if you don't put any more money on that credit card. But if that's the minimum you're paying and then you go out and make a couple of more purchases, well, obviously it's going to take you even longer to dig out of that. So again, uh, you know, they're, they're good to use, but, but be very careful with them. Um, and Nancy, just uh, about a minute or so left, uh, when you're thinking about a credit card, interest rate is one thing, but there are some fees to think about. So if you could quickly just give us a couple of fees that are associated with some cards. Well, many cards have an annual fee. Um, if you're going to pay that annual fee, make sure it's worth it. Is there Are there rewards, uh, something connected to it that's worth that annual fee? Also, you need to be very careful about late fees. So if you're just one day late on your payment, you're going to see that interest kick in plus sizable late fees that will uh, hit you as well. So several of those things, if you do a balance transfer, so often you will see companies say, hey, move your account over here for 0% interest for six months or 18 months. It's typically a 3% fee just to get those moved over. And if you're not just making a purchase, if you're doing a cash advance, it's going to be a higher rate of interest. All right, that's going to wrap us up for today. Money Talks is a production of MPB Think Radio, funded in part by generous financial support from you, our listeners. To hear today's show or previous show, you can go to moneytalks.mpbonline.org. Our show is produced by Liz Gill, and our call screener today was Java Chapman. So for Dr. Nancy Lotter-Janderson and Ryder Taff, I'm Kevin Farrell. Join us every Tuesday at 9 for Money Talks on MPB Think Radio. 
Support for MPB comes from Trustmark, offering My Trustmark online and mobile banking services to help monitor spending, pay bills, deposit checks, transfer money, and more. Anytime, anywhere. More information at Trustmark.com. Member FDIC. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. 